This is the story of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night of his betrayal and of his arrest. Listen to God's word. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to those disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him. And he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. May God bless to our understanding the reading of this, his holy word. Amen. Well, over the past two months of this sermon series, we have been confirming that when the burdens and when the anxieties of our lives just become too great, it is not unusual for we weak, frail human beings to maybe have a meltdown. The circumstances of life become so heavy that or so hard, we just come to a point where maybe, maybe we're reduced to tears, maybe we come to a place where we're just not functioning, or, or we blow a gasket. Belief and trust in God doesn't make us immune from this, and we're not lesser believers because we crack. It can happen in the life of faith. It does happen. We've seen Moses crack under the burden of leadership. We have seen Elijah lose it in his sense of fatigue and in his sense of loneliness. Uh, Jeremiah, the prophet, in his sense of despair and in his doubt that he is able to trust God. Jonah, we've seen him lose it, have a meltdown in his anger. Peter and Judas in their failure of Christ, though one handled it well and the other did not. And then an unnamed woman who stormed Jesus out of desperation. Today we end this series, Meltdown, with one final example, that of Jesus. Jesus having a meltdown? The Son of God unable to cope? 
It happened in Gethsemane. Jesus had led his disciples to this place knowing what they did not, that he was going to be betrayed, arrested, and then put on trial and crucified. And he has come here to pray. He's come here to pray. And he asks his disciples to wait, to pray with him. And then he goes just a little distance away, and he takes three disciples with him to that spot. He takes Peter and the sons of Zebedee. That was James and John. And we're told that Jesus begins to be sorrowful and troubled. Sorrowful and troubled. And these New Testament words are just emotionally charged words that paint a very vivid picture of what the Lord was going through. They are translated in some other places and in a range of ways. They are translated that Jesus was depressed and confused, that he was in anguish and dismay, that he grieved and he was agitated. And they can mean all these things. Mark uses a different word in his gospel than Matthew uses in his. Mark uses a word, um, it means deeply distressed, and, and the word is used to speak of a man who is rendered helpless, helpless who is disoriented, who is agitated, who is anguished by the threat of some approaching event that he doesn't want to go through. Well, Jesus confesses to Peter, James, and John that he says, I'm overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Overwhelmed to the point of death. Even Jesus could come to that point. He faced this struggle, and he wants someone nearby. You notice Jesus doesn't want to go through this alone. That is why he keeps the trio close to him. He does not want to be alone. He goes a little ways, and it says that he falls with his face to the ground. He is so overcome with darkness and fear and anxiety. Yes, Jesus was God. But he was also human. And he took upon himself a human body and a human mind and human emotions and all the limitations of a human. The writer of Hebrews tells us this. Since the children, meaning us, have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. For this reason, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every way because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those, us, who are being tempted. Can Jesus really help me if he doesn't know what it is to be human? He had to be like us so our lives could be redeemed. And by melting down himself, you know what? Our meltdowns are redeemed by God. They're not wasted. They're redeemed by God. John Calvin, in his commentary on this passage, he said, you know, we really never know how we're going to do until the moment comes, right? We just don't know how we're going to hold up until the moment we face something really hard, and then the weakness of our flesh often betrays itself, and the emotions just begin to pour out. And though the father had trained the son in some uh, preliminary bouts, now... Jesus is facing the closeness of death, and the Father strikes him with a terror that he is unaccustomed to. Now, some would see this. Isn't this below Christ's dignity? Isn't it below his dignity to fall to the ground and to be grieved and to be putting on this, you know, just kind of losing it like this? Well, if he didn't know real fear and sorrow, then how can our real fear and our real sorrow be entered into and be touched by God? 
I mean, let's give the gospel writers some credit for avoiding the temptation to paint Jesus as some kind of hero who never had negative emotions, who always rose above any kind of fear that he faced. They don't invent a Jesus who is totally serene in the face of death and suffering. They give us a Jesus as he was, depressed, confused, sorrowful, and troubled. Now, if you want to show that this is the Messiah, is this really the way to do it? Is it wise to show him falling to the ground in weakness? I mean, won't the skeptics, won't the opponents point to this as evidence, hey, he really wasn't the deal? Well, Gethsemane shows that the disciples, again, they are not interested in a photoshopped Jesus. They don't try to clean him up for their own agenda, for their own purposes. Gethsemane also shows, you know what, Jesus was really one of us. And he knew what it was to be crushed. The Bible teacher, Dale Bruner, he calls this text the Magna Carta of depression. He calls it this because Jesus' depression teaches us that in depressing situations, one faithful response is depression. I mean, one of the worst things we can do when people are really going through it is to tell them, you know, put on a smiling face, buck it up, put on a smile, just don't be depressed. There are really things that cause real pain and that can cause sadness in our lives. And one of the most faithful responses to that is to be down. I mean, we can try denial. We can try wearing a mask. We can try uh, self-improvement. We can try spiritual detachment. You know, but the best thing is probably to go through the emotions and face it. Jesus said this. Remember, he said, blessed are those who mourn. You'll be comforted. There's a blessing somewhere. I know it's hard to see sometimes. I don't see it, but there's blessing in the morning. Our Lord acknowledged the pain of the grief and the sorrow. There is a blessing in it, I think, because God can comfort us in our sadness. In a way, we can be drawn to God in that very experience. One of the new fears in our day, you know, one of the new fears in our day is the fear of feeling badly. Recently, I learned of what is, it might be the fastest growing religion right now in our nation. It's not Christianity. It's not Mormonism. It's not Islam. And it is nothing in the New Age movement. It is called moral therapeutic deism, otherwise known as MTD, moral therapeutic deism. Deism. Now, this is not an official religion. You won't find any buildings, you know, of moral therapeutic deism. But what it is, practically speaking, it's really the dominant way many of us, many people think and, and, and act and kind of buy into. It's the belief that, number one, God exists, hence the deism. God exists. And that he wants us to be good, nice people, hence moralistic. And that he will see to our happiness and he'll keep us from all suffering and pain if we're nice people. He wants us to be happy at all costs, hence the therapeutic. Got to feel good. MTD, you know what it is? It's all about meeting my needs and making me happy. And it's infiltrated our thinking and our belief system. So when we suffer or when we have a meltdown, we figure, you know, this isn't God's plan. Because God wants me to always be happy. And then when something happens 
uh, and it's hard, we figure, I must, be, I must be out of God's love. He must not love me. Now, God is not the center of moral therapeutic deism. My personal happiness is. And in short, it's when we, we just all want to feel good at all costs, no matter what. I want to feel good at all costs. Some, not all, but some mental and emotional pain just has to be gone through. I mean, there is just, there's no way a man is going to be spared the grief of losing his wife of over 50 years. And probably the worst thing that can happen is for him to be led into some kind of escape from that grief. It needs to run its course because it's part of how we mature. It's part of how we become resilient. It's, it's part of how we become deeper if we walk with Christ, how we become deeper in our experience and our trust of him. We read in the scriptures that during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. The suffering the loud cries and the tears that Jesus went through. And were there other times maybe besides Gethsemane? Those loud cries and tears was how he was formed in his relationship with the Father. In Gethsemane, Jesus prays again and again to the Father for the cup to be taken from him, for him not to have to walk this path, not to have to experience this suffering or this anguish that is ahead of him. We would, and we do, the same thing. Just because he prays doesn't mean there's not going to be pain to go through or that he can escape. And you know what? Every time he comes back, it gets worse because those who he was counting on to uphold him in prayer are what? They're asleep. He not only feels lousy, he's being let down by those he asked to help him and was a support to him. Maybe you've been there. Jesus melts down in Gethsemane. But he doesn't stay down. The last line in this Gethsemane text is important. Pay attention to the last line. Jesus says, rise and let's go. Let us go. Now, he knows what comes next. Judas comes to betray him and Jesus is arrested. Things don't get better. But through the depression, through the sorrow, through the anguish and the meltdown, Jesus rises with strength and peace enough to be steady, to stand and face now what he's got to face. You know, Gethsemane is kind of strangely comforting. There's a, there's a strange comfort to this because you know what Gethsemane tells us? It's going to be all well. It won't be well because the disciples prove their strength and how dependable they are. It tells us all will be well for divine reasons because God is working. Jesus is going to have to drink the cup and he will go through the horror of the cross, but he will overcome it. He submits to the Father's will. But Jesus doesn't say this. He doesn't say, quick, let's run. He says, rise and let's go. He doesn't look for escape. 
crumbling to the ground. After that, Jesus is able to stand. He's steady. I'm sure he's still fearful, but he says, let's go. Let us go. He moves ahead in obedience to his Father and to fulfill God's rescue plan for all of us on the cross. I think part of this is maybe that maybe we need to melt down once in a while in order to become strong. Maybe part of this comes from knowing that though he will suffer death, that's not going to be the final word, for after the cross is the resurrection. All the powers of Satan, all the att- will, and evil will attack the Son of God on that cross, but they will be exhausted. They will exhaust themselves as they put out everything that they can possibly place upon him when the Son comes alive, and three days later they'll be defeated. That is the power of God. And no matter what happens to us, God is greater. God is always stronger. And Jesus has gone before us to show that, you know, those who trust in him, ultimately, the end is going to be life and victory and God, ultimately. Maybe not in the temporary, but ultimately. And though we have tears, there will come joy. And though there is night, there will be a new morning. I kind of think of the 15th chapter uh, that Paul writes at the end of that great letter, 1 Corinthians, on resurrection, the whole chapter. And you know, he acknowledges the pain and the sting of death. And he says, man, it is real, and man, it stings. But then he ends like this, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We can rise, we can go forward knowing that God is with us. Let us go, not let us run, but let us go. There's a big difference. This week I visited uh, with uh, Jim Dickey, who is an older gentleman in this congregation, a friend to many of us. And uh, you notice his name is on the, our prayer list in our bulletin because Jim has just been diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And it has uh, spread to some parts of his body, and soon he'll have the decision of, whether he's going to have treatment or whether he's not going to choose against that and whether it runs its course, um, he knows it's not good. One of the things, though, that Jim shared with me in all of this, he said, you know what? But, Phil, I'm at peace. He knows that he is in the hands of the Lord. Because there's one who is greater than our fears, greater than our sickness, greater than our depression, pain, and death. And the Lord gives us peace that the world does not know, that the world cannot give. And whether we're facing health problems, whether we're facing cancer, whether we're facing memory loss, whether we're facing uh, unemployment or financial stress or struggles in our family or in relationships or depression or death, we belong to God. You know, sometimes we're really strong. We are. Sometimes we're strong, and sometimes what we face is so, uh, you know, we we, we face hardships, and, and we're feeling the pressure and the strain, but we can see where we're going, and we make it through. But sometimes we're weak. And sometimes what we face is so great, it overwhelms us. And you know what? That is not a sin. And nor does it disappoint God. You know what it is? It's a testimony to our humanity, to our frailty. 
God knows who we are. He knows what we're like and how we're made, that we're just, we're dust. Psalm 103 says, as a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him, for he knows how we were made. He remembers that we are dust. And in the times we melt down, we have a loving, we have a gracious, we have a merciful Father who will never leave us or forsake us. Being overwhelmed cannot separate us from Him. We belong to God. He holds us in His hands. And it's not about our ability to cope. It's about the Lord and His strength and His providence in our lives, no matter what happens. I want to end this sermon, and I want to end this series in two ways. First, I want us to share this morning, in just a a moment, in an affirmation of faith. Something we say together about what we believe. Um, This affirmation of faith comes from what's called the Heidelberg Catechism, an old affirmation from the 1500s in Germany. A catechism is a tool for instruction. It's often... A question followed by an answer. In times that are confusing, the Christian church has always felt it necessary to state what it believes. Christians have reminded ourselves and needed to proclaim to the world in confusing times, you know what, this is what we stand for, this is what we believe, this is who we are. The Heidelberg Catechism comes from such a time. The first article of the Catechism, the affirmation, is one I want us to share in because it's a strong statement of who we belong to in life and in death. It says that. No matter what the circumstances, and it emphasizes not our ability, but it emphasizes God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and what He does for us. And then the second way I want to end this, I want us to to join in a song. Um, the song is called By Gracious Powers. It's, it's new to you. It was new to me. The words are written by a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you just finished uh, um, Kevin Peterson's four-week class that we just had here on the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, from a biography that's been written about him this year that came out. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor in Germany during the reign of the Nazis, and um, he entered into a plot to kill Hitler. To assassinate Hitler. The plot was discovered. Bonhoeffer was arrested and he was eventually put to death. And the lyrics and the words that we're going to sing that Josh is going to lead us in in a while were written, he wrote them just a couple of weeks before he was executed. Bonhoeffer was leading a worship service at the request of some of the men in his prison camp when the guards came to get him for his execution. It was the Sunday after Easter, the Sunday after Resurrection Day, and he was leading this this little worship service. It's reported that um, Bonhoeffer had literally just finished the final prayer when the doors flew open and and two Nazi guards appeared with just kind of evil looks on their face to take him to the gallows. And Bonhoeffer lived out Jesus' Gethsemane words to rise and let us go. And as he was saying, as Pastor Bonhoeffer was saying goodbye to the men that he had gathered with and he'd lived there for several months, he took one of the fellow prisoners and, and, and aside and, it's, and he said, this is the end. But for me, it's the beginning of life. He knew who he belonged to. 
and that because of Jesus Christ, even though we die, you know what? We will live. Meltdowns happen. They aren't forever, though, as long as we belong to the eternal God who holds all power, all authority in his hand. So would you do this? Would you stand? Let's rise together. Let's say these words, this affirmation. My only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. going to sing the first two verses of this song, um, and I really want you guys to just listen and reflect on the words. We'll start back. Um, after I get through two verses, we'll start at the top again. By gracious powers so wonderfully sheltered and confidently waiting come one may we know that night and morning and never fails to greet us each new day yet is this heart by its old foe tormented still evil days bring burdens hard to bear oh give our Join me in gracious powers by gracious powers so wonderfully sheltered and confidently waiting come one may we know that God is with us night and morning and never fails to greet us each day. old
with bitter suffering, hard to understand. We take it thankfully and without trembling, out of so good and so beloved a hand. Yet when again in this same world to joy we had the brightness of your sun we shall remember all the days we've lived through and our whole life shall then be yours alone we shall remember we shall remember all the Shall then be yours alone. 